Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Dustin Wilson, the chef sommelier of 11 Madison Park, on the show today to tell us what it's like to run a three-star Michelin wine program. Dustin Wilson on the show today. Dustin is the head sommelier at 11 Madison Park in the Flatiron District of Manhattan. Dustin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Good to see you as well. So let's take it back a little bit and and talk about how you got here. Uh, You were working at a steakhouse as a waiter. And how was it going down? Uh, It was, you know, I... Was just trying to get through school, trying to pay my way through school. And, uh, you know, the steakhouse was great. It was uh, good money. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was pretty easy. Um, and it was the first time that I'd ever worked in a restaurant that really had an extensive wine list of, of any sort. How big was the list? Uh, it was about 400 selections. That's, um, so that's pretty, pretty big. Pretty decent size, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was it was really interesting to me because I, I knew nothing about wine at the time. And, you know, you all of a sudden have to start recommending things to guests. And, you know, I had absolutely no clue what I was talking about. And, uh, you know, it sparked an interest. So, you know, just as a, as a way to try to get better at my job, I was, you know, buying some books on the side, reading, just trying to educate myself a little bit on, on wine so I didn't feel like a, a complete fool at the table. And um, was, was there a sommelier there to help you out? Or? No, no, there was nobody there. It was... Uh, That's kind of crazy, know, that list, yeah, yeah. that size. Well, you know, it's, uh, it was in, in Baltimore and there's not really a whole, you know, a big uh, wine community down there, really, or at least not to my knowledge. And um, so, you know, I was left to kind of figure it out. And it uh, sparked an interest. Um, that interest led to, you know, I'm buying wine on the side and just drinking things at home and, you know, tracking notes and just reading more. And uh, it just became something that I became really, really interested in. Um, and right around that time as well is uh, when I was, I was finishing up school and I had planned on moving to Colorado at the time. Um, but I had a little time in between school and when I was actually moving. So I, uh, Decided to fill that time with taking a little wine class up in Philly uh, at the restaurant school on Walnut Hill. And um, it was a great wine class. It was uh, it lasted like 15 weeks. That's um, pretty long. Yeah, once a week, um, eight-hour days. Uh, so it was pretty It was pretty fun. Um, 
And it was it offered really great basic, you know, foundation of eight, wine. Eight hours in a wine class. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it was a lot of tasting and a lot of lecture. Um, you know, it was super interesting at the time. Again, I knew pretty much nothing. So, um, you know, it was really fun. And then from there, uh, it came time to move to Colorado. And my goal was the, the whole reason of moving to Colorado was to ski. Gotcha. Uh, I had no real interest in doing much of anything else. <laughs> I was trying to find a, you know, a decent job somewhere where I could work nights and ski during the day and uh, just have a good time. Uh, my goal was to uh, go out there for a year, maybe two tops, you know, and come back to to Baltimore and maybe go back to school or you know I wasn't quite sure yet. And um, I get out there and I am touring around trying to find restaurants to work going into different places, just checking out their wine list because I did want to kind of continue, you know, learning about that as much as I could. And um, I ended up walking into a place called uh, Frosca Food and Wine and and Bobby Stuckey is there to greet me at the door. Um, didn't know anything about the place, just happened to stroll in. I'm um, looking at their wine list and it's all this crazy Italian stuff. And I'm like, what is this place? I've never seen these wines before. And uh, he uh, comes over and says hello and He's like, you know, are you joining us for dinner? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just running around town looking for, you know, potential restaurants where I might, you know, find a, a job. And he goes, great. Well, here's my card. If you decide you want to either apply here or he was really cool. He's like, if you want some recommendations on where to apply. That is really cool. Right. He's like, give me a call. Shoot me an email. Whatever. I'm like, great. So I walk out and... uh I look at his card as I leave, and I noticed that he had the MS initials after his name. And um, I didn't—I'd never met a master sommelier before. Uh, I did know what the initials meant, uh, so I was—I was very impressed. And I was like, "Wow, you know, this is crazy. How did I just walk into this place and there's an MS there? It's nuts." And uh, so I just decided right then and there—that's where I wanted to work. Um, and came back the next day, uh, applied, and they didn't have anything at the time, so I was like, "Great." It's fine. I'll just keep coming back. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I went back literally every day. Uh, every for, day. For like a week. And was like, hey, I just wanted to see if you guys found anything yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone suddenly die or, know, or quit yesterday? Is there anything I can do? And, you know, I think Bobby was. <laughs> Need some help with that? <laughs> right. Anything. Hey, what are you, you know, doing just, over there? I just wanted to get a foot in the door. And, um, and eventually it was uh, right around, uh, it was summertime and bobby was about to open up uh, a little like side patio area oh okay okay so he needed like an extra set of hands uh to help with that um those were not my hands they were someone within the restaurant to go take those tables instead i was uh brought in to uh run food and uh you know mop floors and the glamour side of the, the business. Gla- total glamour side exactly <laughs> <laughs> well we all aspire so, to <laughs> right and, uh, you know, but I was happy to do so. It, it was enough for me to, to pay my rent. And again, you know, it was nighttime, so I was getting a chance to, to go ski if I wanted to. So I was like, you know, if this is what I need to do to, to just learn from somebody and, you know, you know, take my lashings, so to speak, that's what I'll do. And uh, it ended up being uh, a trying experience. Um, it was about six months or so in where, you know, there was no movement. Uh, I was still, you know, scrubbing toilets and emptying trash and you know, mopping the kitchen floor and, um, you know, my, my (laughs) dreams of, you know, tasting wine with Bobby and, and hanging out and just shooting the breeze with him about wine, uh, definitely was not happening at the time. So, um, I started to get a little, 
uh, kind of, you know, thrown back by the situation yeah. and almost, uh, and almost took off. And, um, I don't know what prompted it. I don't know if it was my maybe my attitude at work or, you know, you could just start to tell when people get disconnected from a place. And he pulls me aside one night after work. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? Are you okay? You're like, Are you enjoying it here? Yeah. And, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, it's fine. You know, I was really hoping to just learn more about wine and, you know, I'm not really getting that. And he's like, look, why don't we sit down once a week and, you know, I'll – help you with whatever you need help with that's pretty cool yeah so i was like great he's like i really would like it if you stayed i was like, perfect i will stay uh and it was a great decision and from there you know it really blossomed i ended up staying there for three years um you know eventually spots did open up and uh went from you know scrubbing floors to actually like waiting on people and i could talk to people he allowed me to do that <laughs> and, in english uh, in english <laughs> And uh, complete sentences. I think it was about uh, a year and a half in or so. Um, Nate, who is our our head sommelier there, took off, and they were looking for somebody to to take his not take his place, but kind of step into a, a more entry level role in the wine team. And uh, he he offered that to me, and I was you know totally excited about it, and uh, stepped into that role. And then I was there for another year and a half, three years total. Um, where by the end, you know, I was the one buying the wine, which was awesome. Um, and I learned a ton from him. It was a great experience. Um, what did you take from Bobby? I mean, what's Bobby like? You know, Bobby, he's, he's just like superhuman. You know, he, mm -hmm. uh, he manages to find more hours in the day than most people can. Uh, he is incredibly generous with his time, um, incredibly hospitable, um, you know, the story that I like to tell, and, and other people will know this story too, is, you know, if, if guests come into to Frosca, Frosca is a pretty busy restaurant. Uh, for Boulder, Colorado, it's, you know, little mountain town, you know, out in, you know, essentially nowhere. Nobody really thinks about a, a restaurant being like busy enough that it takes reservations two months out and books up super quick. That place does. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that would show up because it's Boulder and they don't realize that they have to make reservations. And uh, there would be no tables available. And Bobby would literally walk them down the street to take them to another restaurant really? to help them get a table somewhere else. And, um, you know, that's just the kind of guy he was. Uh, you know, incredibly athletic. He would, you know, he's like a sub-three-hour marathoner. Like, the guy's just insane. Um, it's all that walking back and forth to the other restaurants. You're like, how in the world does this guy do this stuff? And, you know, he just runs a tight ship. And it was just, you know, I learned a lot from him as far as just kind of you know, how to carry yourself and how to take care of people. And, um, you know, there was lots of great lessons that I took away from just being, you know, around the guy. And what was the sommelier team like <clears throat> at that time? Who was there working at Fresco? Uh, you know, in the, in my little heyday there, it was, uh, there were three of us. There was a guy named Matt Mather, who's still there. Uh, a gentleman named, uh, Benjamin Richardson, uh, who has since moved on. He's now uh, living and working up in Aspen, um, and myself. So it was just three. Got it. Um, and it was a super fun little team. You know, it was a quirky little Italian wine list and the cellar was completely disorganized and, uh, you know, we had a good time Yeah, and we love to, to, you know, talk about wine and just taste crazy stuff. And, um, you know, those guys were really great as far as my development and just like coming up through and learning. And, um, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, um, 
you know, I never, I didn't really think about leaving until Bobby came to me one day and he's like, hey, you know, uh, I don't know what your plans are for down the road. He's like, but there's a spot up in Aspen that's about to open up at the Little Nell. And, you know, I think you'd be really good for that. You should maybe think about applying. Just take your time to think about it. And I said, fine. That and, was nice of him because a lot right. of guys would have tried to keep you exactly. as opposed exactly. to. Um, and, you know, for me, it was like, oh, man, live in Aspen, get to ski all the time. The mountain's right there. They have a, you know, big wine list, a lot of burgundy and that sort of stuff, which I don't really know much about yet. It'd be cool to learn that stuff. And, uh, you know, so I decided to, to go up and apply. And I think, you know, having Bobby in my back pocket, so to speak, certainly uh, helped out. He, he was the wine director there years ago and, and, you know, people still knew him and such. And, you know, he'd made a, a great impression up there and, uh, you know, went up, applied, did uh, some interviewing and uh, they gave me a call like, you know, a couple of weeks later. Um, and this is when Richard this, Betts was leaving. This is when Betts was, was taken off. Exactly. Um, so the guy who was under him, a guy named Jonathan Pullis, um, was, uh, he was there for like 10 years at the time. Mm -hmm. He moved into Richard's spot as the wine director, uh, which opened up the, the sommelier position. There was just, uh, you know, crazy enough, there was only two people on the team um, to run that wow. big of a program. Because it's a huge, huge it's a pretty, Yeah, it's yeah. a, yeah, you know, definitely a, a good chunk of inventory there and a uh, grand award list. And um, yeah, it's it was a big program. And so Jonathan took the wine director position. I ended up getting his old spot. Um, and honestly, like living in Aspen and working in Aspen was like the greatest thing in the world. It's, uh, you know, you work basically for six months, you have six months off, essentially. It's like, you know, the busy season is summer and winter, and then in the shoulder seasons, you know, it's town is like a ghost town. There's nobody around, and but it's beautiful out, and, you know, you have all this time to go bike riding or go skiing or, you know, just hang out. And, uh, you know, it was great for me. Uh, I was, you know, my first year especially, you know, it was great. I'm like skiing during the day, coming down, rolling into the hotel, which is right at the base of Aspen Mountain. So I would literally ski down into, uh, into the, you know, the, the skiing area, pop my skis off, go right down to the cellar, keep everything down there. I had my suits down there, would switch it up, change into my suit, roll upstairs and boom, on the floor. Ski to work. Like, hanging out, <laughs> selling wine. Uh, it was a pretty great, great gig. Um, but, you know, it's also Aspen, Colorado, where there's not, you know, outside of the Nell and outside of maybe a couple of other places, there's not much happening there in the world of wine. And, uh, you know, there's not really many people either to kind of talk to or hang out with. and Bounce things uh, off. Exactly, exactly. The community there is just like, you know, it's, it's really fun. It's really great. And there's a lot of people that are really into it. But uh, you just don't have that dynamic kind of atmosphere where you can really continue to, to learn and you know, I started to feel that uh, second year I was there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I just started to kind of have this desire to just be in a place that was a little bit more, like, wine-centric, you know. Got it. And, you know, everybody up there is on, on, like, a permanent vacation, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's a really good thing, but it's also not so great in certain other aspects. And, um, but, so, I can't remember what prompted it, Uh but out of the blue, I get an email from Raj Parr. Oh, okay. And he is uh, looking for a psalm out in San Francisco at RN74. And I'm like, man, that could be super fun 
to go, you know, get even more into Burgundy and, sure. and French wines and big you know, Burgundy. hang out with Raj and, you know, just be in a, a, in a bigger city atmosphere where there's a lot of other people that are really into wine. And I just mm -hmm. wanted to keep learning and learning. And, um, you know, at the same time, I was studying for the MS and um, just trying to find the time for that and be in a place where I could, you know, really learn more, taste more, you know, just have a little bit more access to other things. Uh, and it seemed like a pretty good opportunity. So as, as reluctant as I was to leave Aspen, um, I decided to. And my wife, you know, probably wanted to kill me at the time because she's like, God, you keep moving me around everywhere. <laughs> um, but uh, so we go out there. And uh, again, San Fran was a, an amazing experience. You know, I, I at that time, after working at the Nell, I thought I had a lot of exposure to, to great wines. And, you know, I just realized I didn't know anything. And, uh, you know, being around Raj and being around, uh, like Eric Railsback and, um, my boy, Chad, who's out there still, um, Chad Ziegler. Yep. Yep. Um, those guys were just great. And, you know, we would just be tasting things constantly and talking about stuff constantly. It was just exactly kind of the atmosphere I was looking for. Um, and what were you pulling by the glass in the RM oh, days? Oh man, everything. You know, it's funny cause some of the stuff that's so hard to get here or at least get decent quantity of here. You know, we would roll by the glass out there. I mean, everything from, you know, Domaine Fourier by the glass to Dovisat by the glass to, you know, we had some DRC by the glass for a while. I mean, it was just insane um, and super fun. And, you know, it was a super casual atmosphere, too. You Is know, it? Where, yeah, wearing jeans and a button-down shirt, you know, tennis shoes, um, just rolling around, popping, you know, crazy Grand Cru Burgundy and you know your wine key out of your back pocket of your jeans it's pretty fun um and you know i think at the time i was you know it was a really fun job but it wasn't a serious job and you know i was getting older i'm like oh, i'm like getting in my 30s now i'm like where am i going old, like what old. am i doing <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you getting the veterans administration benefits yet is, is, yeah, well, and then yeah. i was reflecting in my time in korea <laughs> And I was like embedded with the 120th, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess looking now, it's you know I was still a young guy, but uh, I guess I still am a young guy. But um, you know, I just I wanted to feel like because my original plan when I moved out to Colorado was like I'm gonna go goof off for a year, maybe to come back and like you know have a serious life. Yeah, because it originally was like a Gilligan's Island thing. Exactly. It was like, exactly. hey, we're just gonna go for a three hour tour, and then right, two years and here later, I am, you know, yeah. six years in. Like, what the hell am I doing? And, um, you know, I was having a great time learning a lot, but I'm like, where am I going? What am I doing? I wanted to have, like, direction, some direction and, and have something serious. And, and your wife probably wanted that, too. Yeah, I think she's, you know, when we finally came here, she's like, we're not moving again. <laughs> I don't care what happens. We're not moving again. Um, so how did you end up here? So uh, how did I end up here? Um you know, I'm not exactly sure. Rumor has it that uh, Richard Betts and Daniel Hume were out on a bike ride out in uh, British Columbia. Uh, this is, I guess, like two years ago at this point. And, you know, they knew that 11 Madison Park was going to be changing and, you know, changing hands and that sort of thing. And um, I guess at the time, John Reagan was, had decided that, you know, he was going to move on and stay with USHG. And they're looking for for someone. Um, I knew Richard from just you know being in Colorado, and he, he, he's really great friends with Bobby and such. 
And, uh, you know, Daniel, I guess, was like, hey, we're looking for somebody who, do you know anybody? And and he threw my name in the hat, I'm sure, with a handful of other names. Do you ever uh, wonder what would happen if Richard Betts had just taken one more swig of the water bottle instead of throwing your name out? You know? <laughs> I know, right? I'd probably still be uh, be hanging out in San Francisco. There's this guy, <laughs> hey, look at that bird. You know what I mean? <laughs> you'd, you'd, exactly, you'd yeah. You'd be wearing Birkenstocks now. I know, man. You'd know, be you'd slaying be, it, yeah. just like hanging out, <laughs> try to grow my hair out or something. Like <laughs> um, and... You know, Daniel was like, okay, cool, you know, and uh, and then I think he gave Bobby a call as well, and, and Bobby threw my name in the hat, and they're like, who, who is this this kid? Um, and, you know, I ended up getting a call from Bobby, and he's like, hey, you know, I don't know what your plans are, uh, but this is happening again, you know, Bobby coming in, and he's like, uh, you should consider kind of, it. Kind of like Charlie's Angels, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm like, you Justin, know. <laughs> I have a mission for you. <laughs> you know, it's 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 cool to think about, but at the same time, I'm like so thankful for just, you know, running into the people I've run into in my life and, yeah. you know, being able to have worked with some of the people I've worked with. You know, I've been really, really lucky. I mean, there's a lot of really great people out there that, you know, work their asses off and, uh, you know, they just – for some reason, they don't end up in the right circle, or they the the network is that's like not actually very true. small. <laughs> those guys don't work their ass off. Those guys. <laughs> well, you know, it's just I feel very blessed. Yeah. Um, so, how many minutes after you arrived at EMP was the Michelin uh, review released? I mean, uh, it long? was my second day. So, was, second uh, day. It was I was training in the reservations office on how to answer phones. <laughs> yeah. The EMP. Way. And the first one was from the Michelin guy. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> they called. And uh, it was my trainer, actually, that picked up the phone. And she goes, oh, it's Michelin on the phone. They want to talk to Will. And uh, she calls back, gets Will on the phone. And then, like, five minutes later, Will is busting into the reservations office, like, screaming that we got three stars. And I'm like, yay! And then I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what am I getting What for? am I doing now? Yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, all of a sudden it hits me. Like, I just took the job as the wine director at a three yeah. Michelin star place in new york city and i'm like wow you know how much champagne did you drink that night a lot (laughs) (laughs) a lot and uh you know it's it's been a crazy transition it's been a crazy uh like last like five six years or whatever it's been um but you know it's amazing and and that's what's cool about this this business i think and you know just wine in general you never exactly know what's gonna come next but uh, bottle variation. Bottle variation, exactly. Uh, Premox. But you guys had uh, like Nomad opening kind of at the same time, right? Yeah, or, or yeah. Not so, so long after? You know, I got thrown into it pretty fast. So, um, you know, I get there, the three Michelin star thing happens. A couple weeks later, the, the guys officially purchase EMP from Danny Meyer. Um, so that happens. Their cookbook comes out a couple weeks later. Did um, you get put up as collateral? Uh, <laughs> so, well, we got Dustin here, so uh, you guys can go ahead and approve the loan now. <laughs> right, exactly. Look how shiny his head is. Um, he can ski, you know, <laughs> he can ski all around those dudes he, at the <laughs> bank or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then, like, uh, you know, the holidays happen, and then uh, we get into the spring. Which is the busy time in New York. The busy time, boom, boom. totally, yeah. And then, uh, and then Nomad happens, and, uh, you know, uh, the original plan for Nomad was our head sommelier from EMP was originally going to take the wine director position there. Um, and Chris, Chris yes, Spaghetta. Exactly. And, uh, you know, she ended up getting a really great offer from the guys at Quince That's out right. of San Francisco. Uh, you know, it was one of those, you know, times in your life where you're like, man, well, I don't, 
she, you know, she had a, a heart to heart with me. She's like, you know, I really don't want to, you know, make any waves or anything, but this is a really great offer. And I feel like I'd be, you know, shooting myself in the foot if I don't at least consider it. And sure. Um, well, that's fair. Yeah, totally. And, you know, that's one of those decisions that you have to make. And I'm sure it was super tough for her, but I think it, uh, it really worked out nicely for her. She's really happy now and, you know, good for her. But how much um, time was that before game time? Uh, you know, basically it was, it was go time immediately, you know, so she, you know, talked to Will and chef and, you know, basically pulled out of, of nomad and, and they threw that onto my plate like the next day. So how much um, sleep were you up <laughs> at that time? Not much. Watching a lot of old not, movies not at home, yeah, sipping on a beer. Definitely not. Definitely not. No, it was, you know, working, and, uh, at EMP. And then, you know, if, if I would go home, there's definitely a few times where I crashed out on, on table 63 in the corner. Um, yeah, which, yeah. I hope will Dustin's favorite table. <laughs> I'd like to sit at Dustin's favorite table if you don't mind, Maitre D. You know, it's it's quite comfortable over in that little corner there. Uh, I highly recommend. Do you ever it to, show to guests anybody. how to do it? Like, if you do need a few Z's, I would just recommend to you, you know, tilt a little to your left and lean back into the, the cushion. Or... Finding a pillow was a tough tough thing. You know, I had to scrounge through uh, the back uh, doldrums of the uh, of the the coat closet. Um, to find a pillow, but it's nice, you know, in the morning, the, the sun comes up and those big windows. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the big windows. You know, hits you right in the face. You're like, There's oh, a coffee man. machine there. Actually, there's exactly, a really good espresso yeah. machine. Go hit up the espresso. The guys are in the back coming in. They're baking the bread for the day. And Listening like, to some oh. good Mexican tunes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I was when I first moved to town, I was staying with some friends of mine up in, um, up in Washington Heights. And, you know, it was a 181st Street, you know. And, and so you'd been it's, to New York before or no? Uh I had been visited New York before, yes. My like, you know, general understanding of uh, you know, how far apart things can yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Like how was, <laughs> was the transport? You're like, like, oh, you live in Washington Heights? That sounds pretty close to right. 20th Street. You know, I was like, oh, it's in Manhattan. How far yeah, apart right. can it be? How far can it be? <laughs> and um yeah, so it was it was a good, you know, 45 minutes to an hour commute each day. And you know, when you're getting off it, two and yeah you know you got to be back at nine or ten in the morning and it's an hour each way you're like man i'll just sleep in the corner over here <laughs> you know right right so and after you got mugged on the subway the first time that's right you, oh, like... you heard about that <laughs> yes yeah so dozed off one night on the subway on the way home and uh you know I'll never let that happen again and you know it must have dozed out pretty hard some guy uh like cut open my my jeans pocket and no way swipes my my phone and uh, tried to find my wallet, I guess, but it was luckily in my other pocket where I was kind of hunched over and sleeping on it. Do people ever get yeah, like so. text messages from Dustin that you didn't send? <laughs> like, I don't understand this text message from you, bro. <laughs> right, like who it's is a, this? It's asking me for money. Right. <laughs> Meet me on this corner. <laughs> right, right, right. Got a deal for you. It's a weird corner. I, we've never been there. I don't know why you're asking me to come here. Um, and and your wife wasn't in town at that time, so it was no, just yeah. you. Right, she was, was still me. doing her school thing. Exactly, yeah. So when, I, when we moved up to Aspen... Uh, uh, she had a semester of school left to finish, and um, she put that off for, you know, what she thought was only going to be a small amount of time ended up being, like, close to four years. Um, and so she really wanted to finish that up. Uh, and so you this, had to be the happiest but also loneliest dude in Manhattan at that time. Totally. Yeah, it was it was a really weird kind of thing that was going on because I had this killer job, and I was super excited, but I'm, like, having these crazy hours, and I'm, like, you know, physically getting beat up and, you know getting mugged and living living far from work and uh you know it was it was it was weird um 
But do you, do you think that like the skiing background and the biking and the hiking that you'd done actually kind of helped you out on just the physical stamina well, level? You know, honestly, I think a little bit. Like when I left San Francisco, I, you know, <laughs> had a lot of time in San Francisco and Cal- in California. They don't quite work like uh, the people in New York. In work. New York, yeah. Um, well, something to know if someone's uh, thinking uh, like, "Hey, where exactly, am I going to go work?" Exactly. Um, and uh, but you know, I. I Spent a lot of time taking care of myself out there, and yeah, yeah I th- I think that did help a little bit when I got here. But who knows? You know, I don't know. Coffee also helped. To yeah, right. I owe it all to Mister Folger. <laughs> exactly, and um, but you know, no, it was it was crazy. So she went to when I came here. She went to Colorado, uh, finished her last semester of school, um, and lucky. Uh, for me, you know, I had those friends up in Washington Heights that allowed me to crash at their place, and um, you know rent was minimal. So it allowed us to have her be out there, finish up school. She didn't have to work so that I could be out here and just get into work. Um, so what was it like working with Will? What was it like working with Chef Hall? It's awesome. I mean, it's definitely intense. Those guys are very professional. They're very ambitious. And, you know, that comes with a lot of uh, intensity, yeah. you know, on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, they're they're brilliant guys and uh, they really have a good grasp on kind of what they want and where they want to go. And, um, you know, they want to shoot for the stars. And I think, you know, that's really admirable. And um, they push me for sure. Uh, How does that like play out? I mean, is it like, hey, Dustin, we're uh, going to do a pop-up dinner with one of the most famous restaurants in Chicago this week. Or right, I mean, like, right. how, does, how, does, how do things happen? You know, they come up with these crazy ideas and they uh, they kind of lay it out and, you know, it, it just eventually turns into like, okay, like something else is coming up. Great. What are we doing now? <laughs> I went through the kitchen one time and I swear to God, it was like the Marines. They were like, ooh like the, all the, oh, the yeah. cooks and stuff. <laughs> Do they make you get in on that? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're in the kitchen, when an order comes in, you know, the chef yells out, you know, two tops coming in or something like that. And, you know, the whole kitchen yells, we, uh, if you're in the kitchen, you got to yell, we. Uh, it's just the way it goes. So if you're running food, you have to, to yell oh, at me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a way to kind of keep the energy going in the kitchen and to yeah. just make sure everybody's kind of on point and paying attention and, and of course, awake. No one's drinking uh, the liquid nitrogen cocktail in the corner? <laughs> no. No. You know, but uh, it's it's an incredible place to be. I feel, again, super lucky to, to be there. And, um, you know, those guys are just – it's made me better uh, for sure. Um, and it's, a lot, you know, I've had to do between, you know, doing the nomad thing at first and uh, getting, helping getting that up and running and uh, just everything that we do all the time, the Elenia switch and, you know, some of the crazy events that we uh, put on and, and things like that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot, but I never really realized that I could kind of handle that kind of stuff. And it's been cool to see them kind of kick my butt into gear and you know really take those big projects on um so it's been an incredible uh learning experience and you saw the restaurant change format actually in terms of the menu yeah yeah so i wasn't there for the um for the old days before the the grid menu before the grid yeah. yeah um that changed before i got there but um you know we just changed the format recently to exclude the four course uh the four course option menu. okay uh, and now it's tasting menu only. So what does that mean in terms of who comes and what they're looking for? You know, it's uh, we definitely get um, we don't get really the the business crowd at lunch anymore. That's probably the biggest thing because now you know before the change, lunch 
lunch was a screaming deal. Was, you know, seventy five bucks. That's when for I went. Four course menu, and you know, you can't beat that really. Um, and it also was a much shorter experience because people needed to be in and out. Exactly. Um, so we we don't necessarily get the the business lunch people as much, if at all, anymore. Um, but we get people who really want to come out and have the full EMP experience. And I think, you know, we were selling more and more tasting menus at dinner all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we realized, we think, you know, people really wanted to have that tasting menu experience. And uh, So once you get the three stars, Michelin, like people are, are gastro totally. people are in Yeah, town you know, I think those, like, those people who kind of work that circuit, you know, they're... Yeah. They they fly all over the place just eating at the three Michelin star places and mm-hmm. you know we we got lucky and ended up on the top ten on that San Pellegrino list too and I oh, think yeah, a lot right. of people pay attention to that and uh, it brings out a different diner it brings out the diners who are going to those kinds of places uh, all over the world how would you so, define those people I mean what is what's the style um, you know they're super food savvy mm-hmm. um, they know exactly what they like um, and I think they enjoy going to this to really like you know, take mental notes and compare and contrast and really see like what people do well and, you know, how different experiences, um, you know, take place in different parts of the world. And um, they tend to be very engaging, uh, very interested in in all the little details. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. How do you pair wine for those people? I mean, what kind of wines do they like? What are you doing on the list? You know, list? I, I try to have like a, a nice balance between, because we are a three Muslim star restaurant. It's mm-hmm. got a, you know, grand award list and, and such. And so I think there's certain expectations with that. There's people who say, okay, you know, you need to have your, your Grand Cru Burgundies, your Bordeaux, the, you know, the very classic wines of the world. And, you know, we try to, when it comes to like pairing wine and food, um, definitely give the guests an experience that will uh, kind of play into that for sure. You know, I think it, they, they almost expect to see some really like, you know, true classic type wines. Um, but then I also try to mix in some funky, you know, off the beaten path things too, to help, you know, broaden their horizons and maybe show them something that they hadn't seen before um, and show, you know, just kind of the versatility of the program as well. Um, so we always try to have like a nice balance of of those things, you know, a couple of quirky things, a couple of really classic things, um, and you know, ultimately, it, whatever works best with the food is is the goal. So, um, what's the food like now? I mean, what are you guys up to with the new menu? Uh, you know, we we did change uh, all the dishes on the menu when we switched away from the grid, or I'm sorry, switched away from you know the the four course menu and just did the tasting menu, but. Um, the food, I would say, is is moving uh, a little bit further away from the like very like uh, beautifully plated like artistic looking uh, food. Oh, um, okay. To more of a like a rustic, more organic gotcha. look. Because I um, always thought of that as Chef Home style it was a real clean, right, like very really clean, beautifully plated. Exactly, and and you know it's still beautiful, but in a much different way. Got it. Um, it's it's much more organic looking. Um, you know, they're kind of playing around with some flavors and some techniques and things like that that they didn't really play around with too much anymore. It's it's going in a pretty cool direction, you know. And you know, I was talking to Chef a couple of weeks ago and. Uh, something he said that was pretty cool is he goes, um, you know, you spend your entire life learning, you know, French technique and, you know, the French way of, of preparing food. Um, and then he said to, but in order to, to get better, you almost have to unlearn all that stuff and start all over again. Um, and that's what he's, you know, trying to do right now. He's trying to just change up 
you know, who he is and kind of what he's been presenting over the last, you know, 20 years of his career, however long it's been. There seems to be a real New York uh, focus, a localized focus. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that, and, you know, the idea with that is uh, what I think is, is kind of cool is, uh, especially coming from a, a wine point of view, you know, the wine geeks of the world like, like us, you know, we, we really love it when a wine speaks to a particular place, you know. Um, if you can put your nose in a glass and, you know, it transports you or, or you know, it really shows like a sense of a specific soil type or, you know, a specific mm-hmm. place, you know, that's, I think that's one of the coolest things about wine. Um, not necessarily how it can impress you, but how it can like, you know, take you to another place. Um, and I think the best wines can really, can really do that. You know, you smell them and you just immediately, you can only go to a specific place in the world. Um and that's kind of their philosophy, but without, you know, taking the wine perspective, that's kind of how I've like looked at what they're doing through my own lens. Um, and it's trying to give the restaurant a real sense of place. Um, you know, most restaurants, I think when you go in, you know, they take you to Italy or they take you to France or they're taking you to, you know, Thailand or wherever, um, which is awesome. Uh, but there's not many places where you walk in and you're like, wow, this is definitely like New York, mm-hmm. you know. Um, certainly you can get that from, uh, you know, the sense of the space, you know, the aesthetic of the room and things like that. You know, the, New York has these grand restaurants. Um, but, you know, a lot of places the food is, you know, of somewhere else. Somewhere else. And they really wanted to have something that speaks to, uh, to New York. Um, so it's not that internationalized idea of fine dining, like, right. hey, here's the foie gras course, and hey, here's the consomme course. Right. It's not like it could be in a hotel dining room in any anywhere in the world. It's specifically what you guys do. Exactly. You know, and we uh, we we do you know have uh, a number of dishes that are just you know Daniel's creations, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily speaking to you know anything specific, um, but. Uh, those are just kind of showcasing what he does. Um, but the storyline kind of through the meal, you know, we start people with savory black and white cookies. Um, we do a little, uh, smoked fish course, uh, which is, you know, really important to the, the, you know, the history of New York. And, um, we have these little things that we kind of drop into the meal, um, that kind of remind you of where you are, um, hopefully in a subtle way, um, but not so subtle that you miss it, you know? Uh, and that's, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, you know, again, coming from that, that wine's perspective, you're like, okay, I, I get it. You know, there's, there's a point to this. There's a real story uh, behind it. And, um, yeah. What are you doing with some of these courses? I hear about the black and white cookies. I hear about the carrot tartare. Yeah. What, what do you pair with carrot tartare? So with the carrot tartare, you know, that's, uh, that's, I think that was one course where we just given the where it is in the meal, you know, we're like, okay, this this I think could really be a New York, you know, only course. So um, we decided to do a New York wine. Oh, okay. With that. Uh, so we pour the uh, the Herman J. Weimer. Oh, sure. Uh, Magdalena Vineyard Riesling uh, with that, uh, and it works really great. Um, and people get excited about it. Kind of picks up on the minerality of carrots. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and there's enough texture in it that uh, you know there's a, a little bit of spice in the uh, in the carrot tartare. Um, with all the, the little things that you add into it. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that, that texture of that wine just really plays off that nicely. Uh, Have you been adding other New York State wines? Uh, we've got a few on the list. Um, not a lot. 
Um, but we try to represent, you know, mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I honestly, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> upstate baby. Uh, I don't really know too much about the New York wine scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as New York viticulture, um, I've been trying to educate myself a little bit more. Um, I before moving here, I had you know pretty much zero experience with them. Um, so I've just been you know trying to read and just trying to taste some things. And uh, you know, if something strikes me as being truly like delicious. Um, I'm happy to add it to the list or if it's, you know, coming from somebody who's doing something kind of cool and different and is willing to put themselves out there, you know, I'll add it to the list. Um, but we're certainly not going crazy. The list isn't going to turn into a New York wine list or anything like that. How do you think the list has changed, uh, under your tenure there so far? Um, you know, in, in, I would say it's kind of in between the lines, um, Uh is where you'll see my little statement, um, you know, the wine list was and probably always will be very French-focused, uh, very uh, Burgundy-heavy, Bordeaux, uh, Rhone, things like that. Um, but I've tried to, to drop in or sprinkle in a few things from my experiences, from my past and the places that I've been. So uh, things that I've just grown, you know, with uh, through my wine uh, drinking career. So you'll find some, some quirky Italian stuff. Um, you know, we, we just dropped in a, a vertical of... Uh, Emidio Pepe, which I'm pretty excited about. And, awesome. Um, you know, we've got some cool Friolano on the list and uh, Ribola and that sort of thing, you know, from my Frosca days. From your Frosca days, sure. And, um, you know, working at RN74 was really great to just learn about some of the more humble French wines that I honestly like are some of my favorites in the world now. So cool, like Loire Valley, Cab Franc, and, uh, you know, Syrah from... Maybe not Cote Roti or Amritage, but Syrah from Saint Joseph or some of the you know lesser appellations, but are just delicious. You know, I'm a huge Beaujolais fan now, so we've we've uh, added a bunch of Beaujolais to the list. Um, so it's really kind of in between all those really classic things that you would expect in in a in a big wine list like that um, is where you'll see my little signature, I think. But you also get like uh, guys having the big lumber wines there. I mean, I feel like I often hear about. The big collectors often go into EMP. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a couple of guys on the team right now who um, who came from uh, a couple other restaurants in town, and you know they get so excited because you know we we sell some really good wine. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff with age, stuff that you know are really the great classic wines of the world. Um, and yeah, I think for me. You know, having that collector culture in there at least a little bit is, uh, I think, a really great thing. Um, it continues to educate me. Um, it also is, uh, you know, nice for the rest of the team as well when they get to see these wines. And uh, you know, most of these guys that come in are, are super generous, and they're like, you know, take a take a glass, make sure you have some, make sure you share it, uh, and we do that. Um, so is it partly uh, people bringing their own bottles or people buying big bottles off the list? Oh, I mean, uh, it's both. It's both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we definitely get a, a good collection of people who like to come in and bring their own their own wines. And that's great. You know, we try to be super uh, uh, corkage friendly. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a pretty low uh, corkage price considering, you know, if you compare it to uh, the other uh, restaurants in that kind of category. Um but uh, we also, you know, we get people who come in and, you know, buy plenty of stuff off the list, too. Our, our guests are a lot of international guests. Uh, we get a lot of people that are traveling from out of town and, you know, so they don't necessarily have their cellar in their back pocket, um, but they love to drink great wine. Right. Um, and 
they come in and they do that. And it's, it's really fun. So one of the things I always thought was really cool about the EMP list is that there were so many great things, and sometimes with age, uh, under $100 that yeah. a lot of people could find accessible. You weren't necessarily priced out if you couldn't drop big uh, lumber dollars. Sure. Uh, is that a focus for you? Or, Absolutely. And, and how does that come about? Yeah, you know, um, like I said, we get kind of all walks of life that come through. Um, we get a lot of the people who dine at, you know, like I said, the three Muslim star places all over the world and such. And, you know, those guys can buy whatever they want. Um, but then we also have those guests who, you know, maybe uh, live in New York or live, you know, within the New York uh, metropolitan area, at least, who have saved up, you know, for months to come into this restaurant because they're celebrating a birthday or they're celebrating an anniversary or, um, you know, they're cel- celebrating a graduation or, or what have you. And this is the place where they've chosen to come come do that. And, you know, the menu is expensive enough as it is. And not everybody can... Not everybody can throw around that kind of cash. And, um, you know, for me, it's it's really important that those people, when they come in and they sit down, don't feel like that they're kind of being pushed into doing something that they don't want to do. You know, and I think, yeah, it'll it'll always remain an important part of the, the program because I want everybody who comes in to be able to find something great for them, you know. Um, and if that means it's a, you know, a quirky little wine you know, off the beaten path, that's like 40 or 50 bucks. You know, I want to make sure that that wine is like the best example that it can possibly be. Um, also, you know, finding those deals, some stuff with, you know, that has a couple years of age um, that you can get on the list. It's delicious, um, but it's not going to set you back. Yeah. I, I want people to be excited and comfortable and, and that'll always continue to be uh, a major part of the list, not just a small part. Where do you think the restaurant's headed? I mean, I feel like every time I look up, there's a new change. <laughs> I mean, uh, what's yeah, gonna, I think what's, uh, well, what's um, a sneak peek for next week? <laughs> next week, um, hopefully, exactly the same as it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, could turn into a long set of hours. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you know, I think part of our, the ethos of the restaurant is. Uh, as you will hear them talk about, it's endless reinvention. Um, so will this current incarnation of EMP be the EMP that lasts forever? Probably not. There's going to be something that changes down the road. Uh, what that is right now, I have no idea. Um, but we're pretty happy and excited with you know the recent changes that we made, and we're, we're stoked on that right now. So I don't think you'll see anything changing up significantly anytime soon. And what's next for you? Here you are, you're 33, you're head sommelier, or actually chef sommelier, because you have a head sommelier that works for you, uh, of, a, of one of the great restaurants in the world. Uh, what, what is it that you plan to do over the next year or two years? Um, you know, I just want to, for me, I want to just really make that program the best it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to make sure that the people that I'm working with feel, you know, like they're continuing to grow. And, you know, I, I kind of want to be you know, the guy that helps them move through their career, you know, learn as much as they can learn, you know, find opportunities for them so they can continue to grow. Um, and, you know, I just want EMP to be a, a great overall program and a place where people want to come work and learn and, you know, have it be a, a great stepping stone in their wine career. Um, but for me personally, you know, uh, uh, I'm working on a little wine project on oh, the side are. with uh, with my buddy Eric. Um, oh, Railsbach? Yeah, yeah. Nice. That guy's um, funny. Yeah, he is hilarious. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we're doing a little Rhone wine, uh, or not Rhone wine, but Rhone varieties from California. 
Um, is which, that the Ludi thing, or is that no? Different? It's it's co- it's going to be called Valen. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but it's made by the same guy, uh, Justin Willett, who is a good friend of ours, um, and we think he's a you know killer winemaker. Um, so same guy who makes Ludi, same guy who makes Tyler Pinot Noir, um, is going to be doing it. But it's going to be you know Syrah and Grenache and you know a couple other things. When are we going to start to see that on the on the shelves? Uh, not anytime real soon. Where you know this year was our first harvest, so we'll have uh, hopefully some wines in the market maybe late spring or something like that. Um, but it's going to be super small at first, and you know we'll we're hoping to grow it down the road. Red wines won't hit until you know a year from now probably. So it's a I'm realizing as excited as I am, it's an extremely slow process. <clears throat> um, but outside of that, you know, I just want to have a good time and enjoy New York and enjoy my wife being here and you know get to experience everything this city has to offer because you know it's. What are, what are some Amazing. of those things that have really stood out for you? I mean, what, what kind of defines New York for you as opposed to working in some of the other cities? Oh, man. Well, you know, the, the I should say, the, the type of people that are here are just so, like, focused in on what they want to do. And, you know, there's this entrepreneurial spirit that everybody has. I mean, um, you know, a lot of people are making wine on the side or they have a radio show or they've, you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those dudes. The <laughs> diamond like, doesn't know with the radio show. <laughs> no, but, you know, everybody's like doing something and they, they're, they don't just want to, you know, just work the floor at night and go home. There's a lot of people that are really, uh, you know, doing cool stuff. Um, and I think that that's awesome. I think New Yorkers um, are like sharks. As man, they, they are. Stop, totally. They die. You know <laughs> exactly. I mean? You got to You got to just keep swimming. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the level of professionalism that you see in people out here is just, you know, it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing place for, for wine people. Um, and, of course, the access to wine out here is just unparalleled. I mean, I thought San Francisco had, a, you know, amazing selection of, of wines that are available. And, you know, you just realize it's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, out here you get everything. So that's awesome. Um, Let's you know, talk about it, the MS a little bit. I mean, how has that shaped you? You, you passed the exam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I passed in uh, February of, of last year, 2011. Um, and it was a great journey. Um, the reason I wanted to get into it was because, you know, people like Stucky and Betts um, and Brett Zimmerman and Jay Fletcher and these guys from my kind of beginnings in the wine world were very influential to me. And they all, you know, they you all were part of that and, crew. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I looked up to those guys and I was like, you know that those guys are solid people. I want to do that. <clears throat> and honestly, like I got into it and, uh, I think I passed the certified or something and was like, oh, okay, I don't, I don't think I'll ever go past this point. And somehow I got convinced to take the advanced exam. And then once that happened, I was like, well, you know, man, I got to at least like shoot for it now. Um, but you know, I try to, I try to take it, uh, as you know, with a grain of salt, it's it's mm-hmm. not the end all. Um, and I think you know, for me, it was a great learning experience, and it was a great way to to build my a really good basic foundation of wine. Um, and it's a you know, don't get me wrong, it gets your foot in the door in places. Could I have gotten a gig at EMP if I didn't have that? You know, maybe, maybe not, probably not. Um, so. But I think, you know, for me, it's once you're through, you realize, okay, now what, you know? So it was an amazing experience getting through it. Um, I met a lot of really great people. A lot of the, the guys that I know from the wine world, I've met via, you know, exams or, you know, 
them coming out to take exams somewhere else or, you know, what have you. Um, so that's been great for meeting people and just like shrinking that, that network of, or that world of people that you, that you hang out with. Um, but you know, for me, I still think of it as like a really great basic understanding. Um, do I feel like I know everything about wine? Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, I think that's for me, the most exciting thing about it is like, okay, I did that, but I still feel like there's so much more to take in. Um, so it's a base of knowledge. It's not- a, it's a great base of knowledge, I think. Um, and yeah, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and, you know, the guys who are going for it, you know, I have, uh, you know, the utmost respect for, and, you know, um, I hope that everybody that wants to pursue that, you know, pursues it with great passion and they, they get it. Um, but do I think that it's like the, you know, once you pass and then you're just the man and that's all you can kick your feet up. Yeah, absolutely not. You have to actually be a sommelier. You have to be, yeah, exactly. You got to, you know, that's, that's great. You did that. Now, what are you going to do to actually prove yourself? You know? Um, And that's what I would like to do now. And that's why I decided to stay on the floor too. You know, there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, MSs that, you know, work the the dining room floor. And um, I wanted to be, you know, one of those guys that kind of stays in touch with the restaurant and, you know, makes a wine list and, you know, taste wine with people and, and stays on that side of this. You know, it's a master sommelier and I feel that, you know, I wanted to continue to be a, a sommelier, you know. Do you think it's easier to buy for a list when you see the the actual people and what they say when they purchase wine from that list? Uh, how, how do you mean? Like if you're standing in front of a customer and you're talking with them, mm-hmm. does that immediate feedback play into decisions you make as a buyer that you maybe wouldn't have if you were just buying. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're always kind of taking, you know, little criticisms here and there like, oh, do you have any of this? Or I don't see any of this on your list. You know, uh, why is that? And, you know, sometimes it's because you don't like that particular style of wine. Right, right. (laughs) I'm not a big Zinfandel fan. We don't have any Zinfandel on the list. You know, does that make some people upset? Yeah, from time to time. Um, but yeah, I would say to a certain extent it does because it at least gives you a good idea as to like what people are looking for and you know what your guests' tastes are and things like that. And you know certainly uh, you want to make sure that you're catering to your guests. Um, but at the same time, you know it's it's I would say mostly my palate that's going to be driving you know what goes onto the list. And uh, what would you say to a young guy who? admired where you're you're at and wanted to do something similar in their own career i mean what would your advice be because one of the things that strikes me is that is that that steakhouse opportunity in baltimore you just don't see many opportunities like that anymore i think we're about the same age and i felt like that where you know i was working and there weren't there wasn't somebody taking care of something and i just sort of went into it to help Mm -hmm. out but now i feel like there might not only not only be that opportunity, but if there was, there'd be three guys who wanted that job. It seems like right. there's a lot more in the business. <laughs> there seems like there's no chance that a foreign selection list, if it were foreign selections, wouldn't have some wine guy right. or a couple people who wanted that job. I mean, it felt like when you first started, the sales were just happening on their own. Now it feels like in a recessionary environment, you have to make sales. Right. What would you say to somebody now as opposed to when you started? You know, um, for me, I think, you know, if you want to get into this world and you want to, you know, kind of go down that path, I think just it's it's hard to say exactly, but, you know, find really great people to surround yourself with, uh-huh. I think, is the biggest thing. Um, 
you know, you have to you have to work hard. You have to you know do your homework. You have to like read about things. You have to travel. You have to go to these places. You know, you're not just going to learn about this stuff and understand it through you know just tasting wine and and nothing else. You know, you have to put put in some effort. And um, but the people that are in the industry is really I think what is going to help you along. You know, if you surround yourself with people who are knowledgeable. You know, I always. I always like to use the uh, uh, the analogy for me is because I like to ski a lot. You know, um, the only way you're going to get better at skiing is if you ski with people who are better than you. Um, and I think that's the same thing with this. You know, you have to surround yourself with people who know a lot more than you. Um, and through that time, I think you'll start to get a lot more exposure. You know, if you're in the right circle of people, you know, opportunities will occur. Uh, you know, and if you have to work that humble gig for a while in order to get your foot in the door somewhere, then that's what you do. And you just try to do the best job that you can possibly do. And, you know, keep your eye on those opportunities when they come around. Um, they don't necessarily come around that often, but got to be ready to, to pounce when they do. Some good advice from Dustin Wilson. <laughs> Dustin, thanks for being on the show today. It's yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. Thank you. Dustin Wilson is the head sommelier, chef sommelier at 11 Madison Park Restaurant in the Flatiron of Manhattan. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website all drink to that pod.com that's i-l-l drink to that pod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating you can donate from anywhere using paypal or stripe on the show website remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app please that's super important to see every episode and thank you for listening